Welcome back to Cause Talk Radio by Rashpixel.fm, the podcast that shows do-gooders, nonprofits, and businesses how to build win-win partnerships that raise money and change the world. This podcast is brought to you by Engage for Good and Selfish Giving. You can find full show notes and additional resources for today's episode at engageforgood.com and selfishgiving.com. Now, on to today's episode. Hey everyone, it's Joe Waters, and I want to welcome you to another exciting episode of Cause Talk Radio. On the line with me, of course, is Megan Strand. Hey, Megan. Hey, hey. Megan, we have a great show today that is certainly going to leave an echo, echo, echo into (laughs) eternity. It's true. It's true. I make these things up on the fly. People think I write out these things, (laughs) Megan, but I don't. I you know, I don't spend a lot of time thinking about these things. I just come up with them. That's what's so amazing. (laughs) On the line with us today, Megan, is Kate Hayes, and she is director of direct impact for Echoing Green. And she's here to talk about her efforts to spot emerging mid-career business leaders and invest in them deeply to accelerate their impact. Welcome to the show, Kate. Thanks so much for having me, Joe and Megan. Director of Direct Impact. It's a lot of directing happening. A lot of directing. What a a title. (laughs) I mean, you know, it's just, I mean, it's, as you said before, at the beginning when we were offline here, Kate, you are a New Yorker. So, I mean, you're, you're a natural director. So, I think it's only natural that you should mention that twice in your title. (laughs) <laughs> right fair enough it's true it's true <laughs> hey kate could you start off by telling us because many of our listeners may not be familiar with echoing green could you tell us what your organization is all about yeah absolutely echoing green is a global seed funder for early stage social entrepreneurs we've been doing that work for about 30 years primarily through our fellowship program where we're finding and investing in very early stage leaders who have innovative solutions to some of the world's biggest problems and over the past few decades that work has really grown and taken on an ecosystem approach so we're thinking about beyond the fellows how can we build out supports to really put Push, the forward, push forward the work of social change. And part of that is Direct Impact, the program that I developed and lead at Echoing Green, which is a board leadership program where we're working with mid-career professionals to engage them in the work of social change by preparing them to join the boards of our nonprofit organizations. So talk a little bit about your the people that you work with in, in Direct Impact. What's a typical profile of somebody that you're working with? And why would they... How do they come to you? And why would they want to be involved in board, board role, board, board service for a nonprofit organization? Sure. So they are mid-career professionals, typically between the ages of 35 to 45, some a little younger, some a little bit older. And they're at the point in their career where they've established themselves. They've gained an incredible skill set that they know they could put to use somewhere outside of work. And they're at a point where they're really searching for meaning. They want to think about what that personal legacy is, what they can do outside of work to move the needle on the causes that they care most about. And so they come to us at that point in time. They're not sure where to get started, but they know that they want to do something. So as an example, we had a recent graduate whose name is Marcus, and he was a finance director at a big company. He had volunteered in the past in his 20s, but was looking for a way to develop a deeper, more long-term relationship. So he thought about board service and had heard about the direct impact program through a friend 
and wanted to invest deeply in himself to make sure that he was becoming the most effective board member that he could be, joined the program and now has gone on to become actually a board chair at an organization working in New York City. Yeah, that's cool. Nice. So uh, how do you define mid-career? Because it sounds like Marcus is, was pretty early in his career in terms of someone, but obviously very successful for his age. Is Are you looking more at skill sets or you know does age determine a little bit more about the people that you pick? Yeah, age, age is a, a bit of the piece of the puzzle. We want our participants to have a little bit more control of their schedules, which typically comes after they've been in the workforce six or eight years, though. Do we ever have full control of our schedules (laughs) is another question. Um, But we want them to be able to have more time to be able to give the time that they need once they actually join the boards of organizations. It's typically six to eight hours per month. We want them to be committed. And we also want them to have developed a skill set that they can bring and apply and Even if they're not yet in the C-suite at their own companies, joining the board is actually a really great leadership development tool for them to take what they've learned and apply it at the highest leadership level of a nonprofit organization and be able to give back in that way. So what does your program take them through? Like, What's the preparation you have them do for for this board service? Yeah, so they... First, to even get into the program, they go through an application and interview process where we're making sure that they're ready for the time commitment, which I'll outline in a moment. So the program itself runs between two to three months and starts and ends with an intensive three-day retreat. Those retreats are really focused on four areas, first being leadership development. So we're helping them understand who they are as leaders, what they care most about, what their purpose is how they show up in a group, as well as group leadership. So understanding group dynamics, the very unique team that a board is, how do they play in that team? Second is around governance. So we're really rethinking the way we teach governance and focusing on a leadership from a leadership lens as opposed to just the legal and fiduciary responsibilities of a board. We're talking about fundraising and philanthropy, and we're talking about social entrepreneurship. So in addition to those retreats, they're going on an immersive site visit, whether it's to Rwanda, Atlanta, Nepal. They're spending a couple of days working alongside a social entrepreneur to really understand the complexities of social issues and understand the inner workings of a nonprofit. Since most of them have been in the private sector for their entire mm. career, they're, at, they're, they're needing to really see the good, the bad, and the ugly so that as they become board members, they're well-informed and have uh, a deep understanding of those nuances of the sector. Mm. You know, it's, it sounds like a pretty intense program, Kate. How do they, how do they deal with that with their, with their, you know, their full-time jobs? You know what I mean? Because, I mean, it sounds like they need a lot of leniency from their employer in order to do something like this. And does that restrict the type of people that you can have in a program like this, like mainly from big companies? That's a great question. So we've designed it to not get in the way of work as much as possible. So the retreats start Friday late afternoon and go through Sunday evening. So they've got to give up their weekend, but they don't have to give up work days to join those retreats. And then the site visit, we give options. So we do have one or two day domestic options, most often to the international options where they're spending three days, but there too, we make as much use of weekends as we can, uh, but they're typically giving up a few work days. Um, and most, because they're so invested in doing this, are okay with spending their vacation days 
doing something that really matters for them. So you have international options. Where do people go? That sounds fun. I want to do that. Joe, let's go. <laughs> I, yeah, right. You are. You're you in. You will do you anything are, to get out of the house. You've got two spots in the Megan, next cohort. You will do anything. It's true. It's a true story. <laughs> so we've had them really all over the world because our social entrepreneurs are all over the world. So we've done several in Kathmandu, wow. Nepal. We've done several in Kigali, Rwanda, in Uganda, in El Salvador, um, kind of kind of across the world. And what's amazing about these site visits is they're so transformative. Marcus, who I mentioned before, he went on a site visit to Kathmandu and got to see, we were there about a year after the 2015 earthquake, where the country was still figuring out what needed to help what needed to happen to really help their citizens thrive after that. Uh, But by being able to see the complexities of a place like Kathmandu, those learnings were actually extremely applicable when he came back and joined an organization here in New York. So it's, um, it becomes probably the most transformative element of the program because you're so beyond your comfort zone and what you know, it's traveling in a way that you don't normally travel because you're meeting locals and understanding all of the different players in the social change ecosystem on the ground. That sounds awesome. I want to go. Mm, I'm going. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Megan will go. Kate, Megan will go anywhere where there's a five-star hotel. That's not true. That's you. As long as she ends up at I the end of the day, five stars. you know, pampered. <laughs> I mean, you know, so she can reflect on the day. I mean, that's important, you know. So wherever there's a Ritz in any of those countries that you mentioned, she will be there. Dude, I was in the Peace Corps. I am. I can hang with <laughs> I whatever. You, on the other hand... This city boy. Yeah, but you were in the Peace Corps in Cancun. <laughs> I was not. <laughs> hey, Kate, from the from a nonprofit perspective, why do you think it's so important to have corporate leaders engaged in their work? What do you think the big value is for them? There's a few. I think the biggest are the skill sets. So they are looking for skill sets like finance, like marketing, communications, the ones you you all know well. Um, but they're also looking for the soft skills that individuals have developed in the private sector or in any sector, problem solving, engaging in healthy debate, communications, those skills that are beyond what a job title will tell you, which is why getting to know your prospective board members is really important. That's a huge value add. And so much of what we're trying to do is to help the private sector leaders translate their skill sets to the social sector so that they can be in partnership and work really well together. Um, that's one big plus. The second is to have objective point of view. Um, I like to think of board members as insider outsiders. So they're insiders in that they're on the same team as the executive director, but they can really look at the whole organization from the 50,000 level view, 50,000 foot view, and be able to see what's possible without having to be in the day-to-day operations of the organization. I think that's true for corporate members, and I think that's true for all members. And I think that more organizations are really starting to think about their boards. They've been a pain point for a long time for many organizations, and we know that they're not as effective as they could be. So we're trying to really reimagine what they could look like, again, with that leadership element really being at the forefront. So are you then matching the the participants in, in this training program with a nonprofit board once they've gone through? Or are you just saying, okay, now you're equipped, go out and find a board? So we're taking care of the matching process as well. So once they finish those retreats and the site visit, then they move into this process where we're really working with them to... We've worked over the course of the program, uh, but 
drilling down into what they're looking for. And we really are looking at two things. We're looking at content and context. When we think about context, that's the issue. A lot of people will have one idea when they come into the program. I really care about food security or I really care about education. And they're able to begin to understand what they mean by that over the course of the program um, and then get to the point where they have an idea of the type of organization. But equally, if not more important to that context, is the content. So we're also helping them understand the skill sets, both hard and soft skill sets they're bringing, the networks that they're bringing, so that they know that the role that they're going to play as a board member, which looks different on every board, depending on the stage of the organization, that they're also getting what they're looking for in terms of the content that they're working on. So we're specifically placing them within the Echoing Green Network um, to, to really amplify the work of our organizations. Though we have some that also will go on to join boards of organizations that they were already involved with before joining Direct hmm. Impact. So how do, how do people, how do professionals find out about this, uh, Kate? Like, how do you promote this in, you know, to different people? How do they learn about it? Is it mainly through referrals or do you have kind of a, a program to get the word out? Referrals is a big piece. So it's an, it's a program where once you've gone through it, it's so easy to articulate what that experience has been like. So they go out, tell all of their friends. We also work with corporations, large and small, to encourage and at times support their employees to go through the program. And then we also just try to reach out into different networks. We have a partner network where we say, hey, this is what we're looking for. Let us know if you have anybody that uh, fits the bill. We haven't been focused too much on marketing yet because it's been so word of mouth, but it's something that we're really thinking about to increase our reach moving forward. So I have, a, I have a question about the whole social social entrepreneurship side of Echoing Green. So that that's kind of the, the organization's focus, right, is social entrepreneurship. Yes. So yeah. how how does this fit into that because with with direct impact you're targeting corporate professionals and you're you're basically saying like hey you can make an impact staying where you are within a corporation by doing the you know by becoming better trained to serve a nonprofit board. But how how does that all come together with the social entrepreneurship piece or does is it just completely separate? It does come together and what we've learned over the past few decades and it sounds obvious now, but social entrepreneurs can't do it alone. They are incredibly important people to have at the center of the work. And the ones that we're working with are so close to the issues that they're working on and the organizations that they've developed. But they need this trusted set of advisors, board members that are in it with them that can provide those skill sets that they need to to complement their own. So it's very directly tied into building this ecosystem approach to social change, which we're becoming and have become in the past 10 years really intentional about uh, to really support that work that the social entrepreneurs are taking on. So you're you're then placing people on boards in social social enterprises in addition to nonprofit organizations, correct? We're starting to. So our, our emphasis has really been on nonprofit boards. It's what the program was, uh, what the direct impact program was built on. But what we've learned is that for our for-profit fellows, which there are a lot of them within the Echoing Green Network, the lessons that we're learning are pretty much equally uh, 
the same for for the for-profits. So we're starting to pilot doing a few placements there. There's a few nuances just in terms of the nonprofits that are fundraising, for-profits, they're social enterprises, so they're often structured a little bit differently and not necessarily big equity things at stake. Um, but we're seeing that the core elements that board me- members need to have are really the same, whether it's a nonprofit or a social enterprise. Interesting. So what, what what's in the name Echoing Green? Who came up with that and what does it really mean? It is a poem, um, a William Blake poem. Oh, cool. And our, I yeah, should have known our, that. Wow. <laughs> our founders, um, who were leaders from General Atlantic, which is a private equity firm, which is another, we've really been driven by private social sector partnerships from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they they came across this poem, I think, on a road trip and loved it. I've read the interpretation. Uh, it's essentially about creating a world that works for everybody. Um, so I definitely encourage you to read or reread the poem. Uh, oh, yeah. I'm on the Poetry Foundation perfect, looking at it right now. Perfect. So. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, because I'm wondering too, like, what is that? Well, you know, it's interesting though. In the poem, Blake spells echoing with two C's. And I wonder if it was just, you know, back in the 18th century, whether or not that was just a common practice. So maybe there's some other significance I'll have to look at in any of this. But uh, yeah, because that's interesting because I'm kind of like, okay, what does this have to do with echoing green? Like, where's the the connection? How'd they come up with that name? That's interesting though. It's a question we get a lot, um, and and our founder story is a pretty cool one in that it was these six business leaders that said, "Hey, what would happen if we took the principles of the private sector and apply them to philanthropy? Mm-hmm. What would it look like if we invested, as we do in early stage companies, in early stage social entrepreneurs?" Um, so I love that they came across the poem and were able to to bring it to life in this way. I think what you're doing is so fascinating. And Joe, you can probably resonate with what I'm about to say, but we hear from so many people mm-hmm. all the time that are, even if they're on the corporate side, even if they're on the corporate social impact side, and they're like, "I'm going to go work for a nonprofit." <laughs> and, um, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. And certainly cer- some people make that transition just fine. But I, it's one of those grass is always greener situations sometimes. Um, and I like the fact that you're kind of saying, hey, you know, you can make an impact where you are. I mean, it's almost um, along the lines of that entrepreneurship movement where they're like, okay, well, you can make a change from, w- from where you are, from within your organization. And you're kind of tweaking that a little bit and saying you can make a social impact by serving these boards in this way. Exactly. Because we believe every person has a role to play. We're not going to move the needle on these social issues if if key players across sectors, they've got to be working together. Um, and so that's that's exactly why I think it's so special and why we were very intentional about finding individuals who would stay in the corporate sector and think about how to influence their decision making from within so that as our alumni gain additional influence within their companies, they're really thinking differently about how they engage in the social change ecosystem. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah. And it's got a, you know, one of the interesting things about Blake too, is he's got this, these, all these sketches too. I was just going to say, Joe's still reading the poetry website. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I knew you were still doing that. (laughs) Kate, if if you could stop talking for one second, I could probably figure out the rhyme of this. You know what I mean? Right. I'm looking at this. Wow. That's great though. Well, but I think it's also cool in that, um, I mean, I can, I sit on a nonprofit board and 
the way that our organization recruits new board members is somewhat willy nilly. You know, it's just kind of like who knows who and who would be good, we think. So I'm sure nonprofits really appreciate the service you're providing to their board members because then they don't have to do the work of kind of going through governance issues and and kind of getting them up to speed on the basics of board service. So um, I think that's fantastic. Do you work with nonprofits to kind of coach them about how to find the right fit? We do. So half the equation is preparing these leaders to become exceptional board members. But we also, to your point, we have to prepare the nonprofits to be ready to have board members that are going to think differently, going to bring in this new toolkit to the work that they're doing. So a lot of my work is also in working with our social entrepreneurs to prepare them to think about what does board recruitment need to look like? What do board meetings, what does an agenda need to look like? And we've completely reimagined what a great board meeting looks like. How do you think about evaluating your board members and supporting them? Um, And how do you think about facilitating strong discussions so that you're actually having conversations on the issues that are most important as opposed to just reporting out to your board every other month, which gets boring and tedious for everybody involved. Um, so a lot of a lot of my work is on that side as well. And that's something that I'm beginning to do even beyond the Echoing Green Network. We want to really push the field to think differently about what board service looks like from both angles. So that's 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 what drives me and what what keeps me going is having seen what's possible when this works and when uh, we can shift the needle on how boards operate. Mm. I love that. So Kate, Kate, how do you, how is this all funded right now? And, you know, when I visited your site too, I noticed and going through the staff that you folks are looking for a vice president of development. Is the way that you're funded right now the future of how you'd be funded or are you looking for other avenues? Yeah. So Echoing Green in general has a pretty diverse fundraising um, effort. And we've got an incredible interim VP of development right now that we are looking. Um, and so we're we're a 501c3. So we get a lot of support from foundations, corporations, individuals. Direct impact is a little bit different in that it's more of a fee for service. So individuals do pay to mm-hmm. go through this leadership development program Oftentimes, they will get funded or partially funded by their corporation, either through talent development because it is so heavily focused on leadership development, so it fits there, or through philanthropy because there is this civic philanthropic engagement element of it. Um, so I think we'll we'll continue to probably look like that, having our philanthropy side really driving much of what Echoing Green does, but um, increasing what we can do through the direct impact lens. How many people, how many professionals have gone through your direct impact training program? We just graduated our sixth cohort. So we've had just about 60 people so far in the past three years. Nice. Oh, great program, it. Kate. Well, Kate, this has been really, really fantastic. We really appreciate uh, you sharing about Direct Impact and e- Echoing Green with our listeners today. If people want to learn more about you or about your organization, how might they do that online? Yes, you can go to echoinggreen.org and navigate to the Direct Impact page or just look at Echoing Green in general. We're on Twitter at Echoing Green. I'm on Twitter at KDA Hayes. Definitely follow up there. We're on LinkedIn, 
Instagram. We do really fun stories. Um, so, so certainly cool. find us on social media to learn more. And I would, I would recommend, um, we had a great article come out in the Stanford Social mm-hmm. Innovation Review called A Roadmap to Better Boards, uh, all about this topic of how we make boards better and really move that needle. So I recommend reading that as well. Amazing. We will include that in the show notes. Yeah. You know what I'll do too, Megan, is I'll put in the Echoing Green um, wiki page so that people can take a look at the poem and take a look at the artwork that goes with it so people can learn all about uh, the organization and the original poem that inspired it. Good job, Joe. Joe, where can people find you online if they'd like to do that? Uh, People can find me Minute to Minute on Twitter, talking to Megan and Kate at Joe Waters. And don't forget to visit SelfishGiving.com. I send out a great email newsletter every Wednesday morning. Uh, you won't regret getting it. Megan, where can people find you? I'm also on Twitter at Megan Strand, and I tweet for Engage for Good at Engage for Good, which is also where you can find show notes for today's episode, engageforgood.com, as well as selfishgiving.com. And while you are online, don't forget to subscribe to Cause Talk Radio on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Google Play or wherever you get your podcasts so that you do not miss an episode. And on behalf of Kate and Joe and myself, I'd like to thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Cause Talk Radio, and we will talk to you next time.